Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. If you like something that you're listening to, connect with us. We love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and HH Talk Radio or tweet at us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. On this show, as many of our listeners know, and if you don't know, you will now, that we delve into subjects that might be considered the, the darker side of life. And it's important to sometimes touch upon these darker, shadowy sides of the human experience because we find that there is, in fact, light that resides there. And today we're talking about suicide, um, a very scary subject for many, um, and one that most of us would think, how could we ever make peace with suicide? And in fact, there are ways, there is a method, and there is a process. And my guest today is Dr. Adele Ryan McDowell. She is a psychologist, teacher, and writer who likes looking at life through the big viewfinder. Dr. McDowell tr specializes in transformational work using psychoneuroimmunology, which is mind-body medicine, energy medicine, as well as cognitive, behavioral, transpersonal, and positive psychologies. She has over 30 years experience as a psychotherapist. Adele's work has encompassed suicide, domestic violence, and sexual assault um, at crisis hotlines. She's the director of an urban substance abuse clinic and the founder as well as director of a Holistic Psychotherapeutic Center. Adele, good morning. Good morning, Lisa. I'm delighted to be here and to have this conversation with you. 
I am as well. Your book is Making Peace with Suicide, a book of hope, understanding, and comfort. Um, and I think there is a second book, Balancing Act, Reflections, Meditations, and Coping Strategies for Today's Fast-Paced World. That is correct. Balancing Act was the first book, and Making Peace with Suicide is my recent baby. And this is a very, very formidable baby because this is a subject that we as a society are not comfortable having. Absolutely. We have a difficult time talking about death, much less suicide, which is tainted with such shame and taboo around it. You know, if you lose someone, people are like, I'm so sorry you lost someone. But if you lose someone by suicide, people frequently don't know what to say or how to respond, or they say some things that could make your hair curl out. You know, well, they told one mother, if if you didn't have a gun in your home or if you didn't work, um, this mother, when her daughter went back to school, the teachers didn't even know what to say to her. And no one addressed it in the school. It, it's a tough topic, but we have in the United States a suicide every 13 minutes, around the world every 40 seconds. It needs to be brought into the light. We need to have the conversation to help people and to learn how to make peace with the tragedy. Agreed. And we also should mention that suicide reaches across all socioeconomic groups, all ages, all ethnicities. It is an equal opportunity tragedy. Absolutely. Totally. It, For example, um, in India, farmers who kind of take a loan out against a coming uh, crop, right? They want to send their kids into the city for school. So they take out the loan, but bad weather, bad seeds, what have you, the crop fails. And then they're unrelenting, unrelenting debt collectors that are harassing and abusive. And many farmers have taken their life. It, it happened also years ago with some GMO seeds. And you had both mom and dad farmers uh, taking their life in Italy and Ireland. And I believe Greece, for the first time, they are having suicide hotlines because of suicide by economic crisis. You know, when you can't work or find work or put a roof over your head or take care of your family, you feel very optionless and you wonder why bother. And suicide can come to the fore. What prompted you to write this book besides the, the statistics and the, and the reasons that you've just stated? Well, actually, the what happened was that Three years ago, I had met a friend, a clinical psychologist, many years before that. I had met her at a healing and shamanism conference in California. And I got a phone call from some other friends from the conference, and they said, Adele, Susan died. I said, what do you mean Susan died? I just sent her an email for her birthday. I know this, that, and the other. I said, what are you talking about? Was it a car accident? And they said no, and they hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed. And she had had depression, been hospitalized. Um, upon release from the hospital, uh, she took an overdose of pills. That uh, Here is a woman with all sorts of training, right? And I thought, wow, all right, I was rattled. I wrote a piece called A Psychologist's Suicide to help me make sense of it, just wrap my head around it. And then I'm at the kitchen sink doing dishes. And you know that little voice? And the little voice says, you need to write a book on suicide. 
And I thought, oh, this, okay, I can do that. I'll just knock this book out in six months. Ha ha. <laughs> I, I had to be opened and changed as well. So initially, I the book has a lot of stories, uh, uh, stories from people who have survived the loss of a loved one and how they got through it. And there's so many ways. And then the stories of people who themselves have been suicidal and what changed for them. And because actually the numbers of people who are suicidal are much higher than the numbers of people we've lost to suicide. So it's, it's a major global epi- epidemic. Do you think that the uh, passing of Robin Williams by suicide changed the way we look at suicide or opened the window at least to begin to have this conversation more publicly? Oh, absolutely, Lisa, absolutely, because Robin Williams was totally well-loved. He was beloved. We All of us smiled. We couldn't wait to see Robin Williams and whatever we were going to see Robin Williams in. And we knew him. There was something very accessible about him, right? Now, originally the press came out and said, well, you know, um, he had some financial issues, we think, and he had some addiction issues. But it, the autopsy revealed, and I just learned this, the autopsy revealed that he had a specific kind of dementia associated with Parkins. And I wish I could pull up the name for you. It's something like Lucy's or Louise. There's something, there's a specific name for it. And that was the cause of his suicide. He had moved out of the bedroom he shared with his wife because he was so restless and anxious. And And then he got to a place where his brain became contorted and he ended up in a tight, dark place, I assume. And, and he felt that was his only option. We football players, right? They, and the combat soldiers whose heads get banged around, uh, with post concussion syndrome, uh, what is it called? Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. All of these things, they have found that there is very real organic damage to the brain, right? So we, yes, the major cause of suicide is certainly depression, right? And, and mental illness, but we're finding in today's world, economic, social things like bullying, right? The, um, uh, there's uh, trauma from war, childhood sexual, there's so many reasons of why suicide happens. And, and the, the goal is to is to end the pain. I mean, be, people well, who, who exactly. to to take their lives just want the suffering to end. Of course, that is the only reason, right? That is the only reason. Sometimes a suicide is well considered. Sometimes it's impulsive. I had the experience in my early days in working in a drug clinic, and um, I was not the director then. I later became the director, but they gave to me this, you know, new person. They said, here, here's a person. She just came out of a hospital after her seventh suicide attempt. In that last attempt, um, she took out her German shepherd, who was her best friend, And I met her two or three times, the first time the assessment. And, you know, we're talking about, well, you know, get a job, do this, do that, everything to get her life in order. And um, she came in one day and she was happy as could be. And I went, oh, this is great. I was so naive because hours later she had taken her life. Because for some people, when they make that decision, there is relief. I didn't know that then. Yes, I have experienced uh, similar circumstances, and it is, um, it's, it, it's very, very hard to understand, 
But then you have the success stories, those who uh, have tremendous amount of suffering and they do get relief through therapy, in some cases through medication. And they say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on because I'm curious about what tomorrow will bring. Right. And in this, the, the example I gave, that woman certainly had some major biochemical issues, major, to be in and out of a psych hospital and chronically suicidal and on all sorts of medications for the majority of her di- adult life speaks to some severe mental health issues. You are right, though. There are people who say, I'm in this trough and I, I, I want to find a way out. Where's the window? Where's the hand? How do I get there? Hmm. Where's the little teeny bit of light. We are going to go to a break. And when we return, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Adele Ryan McDowell. To learn more, please visit www.adeleryanmcdowell.com or makingpeacewithsuicide.com. On Facebook, the page is Making Peace with Suicide with a hyphen between each word. And the Twitter handle to connect with Dr. McDowell is at Adele Heels. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it. We're talking about something very, very difficult, but something that is very worthwhile to be shared within your community. We're talking today with Dr. Adele Ryan McDowell about making peace with suicide, which is her newest book. And we're talking about how rampant suicide is. Uh, epidemic actually around the world and there are several reasons for it but we want to um, share some tips of hope of lightness for our listeners for those that might be uh, depressed or know of someone who is depressed because suicide can be prevented and we all need to be vigilant and on the lookout for signs of our loved ones who are in distress so Adele let's talk about seven steps to uh possibly help somebody heal from the suicide of a loved one or somebody who is in a dark depression to have them help themselves? 
Okay, great. I'd love to. The first step is to tell your story. Okay. Basically, we have to get it out of ourselves, right? We need to be able to talk and have somebody bear witness without judgment. Just hear what we have to say. You know, what happened? Um, how do we feel? All of that good stuff. Whether you are grieving, and often people who are grief-stricken will say, I just want somebody to listen to me. I need to talk about my relationship with my lost loved one. And for people who are in, in a, in a dark place, they want somebody to hear their pain. So telling our story for any of us is very important. The second part would be to own our part. And by that, I mean, you know, what's real, what's not real. You know, did we, what really happened here? Uh, is there a way that we can forgive? Yeah, you know, we forgive ourselves, we forgive them, we forgive institutions, whether it's schools, hospitals, military groups, whatever, that we might need to forgive. And forgiveness takes us out of the stuckness of the past. Forgiveness frees our energy. Forgiveness is a way to release our own burden, right? So if, you know, was this real? But the forgiveness, when, when I talk about forgiveness, I say, let's forgive our real and our perceived injuries and hurts, the ones we gave and the ones we received. And that's a wonderful way of owning our own part. Okay, so what happened here? And then in my years of doing a lot of things like uh, Newtown and 9-11 and what have you, we would do um, what was called uh, critical incident stress debriefing, right? So the third step here is to debrief the dark moments. But I'm a big believer that you bring in the yin and the yang. So not only do we talk about what was the worst, and everybody's worst is different. It could be before the suicide, after the suicide, years before, years after you. Everyone has unique experiences. But also we need to remember the good stuff, the stuff that we did right, because most certainly we did many things. And what survivors of a suicidal loss need to remember is it's not your fault. We have to be very clear. It's not your fault, but often survivors are blamed for the suicidal loss of their loved one. It's a crazy thing that we humans end up doing. You should have known. You should have made it better. But I guarantee you that their loved ones love them and did the best that they could. But when an individual makes that choice to step away, to turn away, they're, they're not doing it to you. They're doing it, as we said earlier, to get out of their pain. So we want to debrief the dark moments and remember the good moments. And then the fourth step is what I call call back your spirit. And I have a wonderful story, but it's pretty long. So it's, it's in the book. But the bottom line is that no matter what we go through, we have to call back our essence. Who are we? We can't have our energy scattered out there. You know, we tend to hold on things. We tend to carry all this stuff with us. So let's call back our essence. And I give a process for that. And then one of the best ways I find to, if you end any relationship is what, what are the lessons? You know, what are the lessons? What did we learn? What did it teach us? You know, sometimes I would say a relationship has taught me unconditional love or it's taught me patience. For me, in doing this book, it stretched my heart wide open and taught me new levels of compassion. And then I suggest the sixth step is that you 
take some quiet time. If you believe in meditation or prayer, whatever's right for you, and you connect with your loved one, it's possible. You just open your heart, right? You open your heart. And a visualization technique I like is just imagine a pool of light, if you will, a pretty garden, what works for you. And there are two chairs and call in your loved one. And imagine, and imagination is pulling from the psyche and the psyche is the soul. So imagine if it doesn't come naturally, have fun with it, if you will, and just see if it becomes normal. And it's not anything you can control or make happen, but there is a way heart to heart. I had one man who talked about his brother and he said, geez, Adele, when I drive, pull out of the driveway in the morning and drive to work, I feel like my brother's in the car with me. And I said, he is. You know, so <laughs> sometimes if you think it's a message or a sign, it is. Not sometimes. If you think it is, it usually is. Okay, and the, the, the last step would be I'm big and grounding things in the 3D. So we want to make a commitment to peace. And so to do that, I suggest you, you know, it's like writing a, a little contract or a vow to yourself that, you know, I'm willing to make peace with this. I'm will and making peace means what? Making peace means that we accept. We accept the unacceptable. We accept the horrific. It doesn't mean we agree. It means we accept. Making peace means we forgive. Because if we don't forgive, we stay stuck. We don't go forward. It's it's tied up energy. And making peace means that we have compassion. And that means that we walk in another person's shoes. Again, we don't have to agree but we understand their level of pain. I had one guy who said he knew his brother. He just didn't understand what had happened here. And he was smart enough to figure out his brother's passwords. And he went into his brother's computers and he computer and he found that the he was in serious financial distress and a lot of things had gone wrong. He said in finding that it gave he and the rest of the family compassion to understand his brother's choice. Of course, they didn't like the choice, but it gave them greater understanding, right? And then the final part of making a commitment to peace is maybe, you know, we have, um, when you get married, you get a present. When you have a birthday, you get a present. But maybe as a commemoration of someone, Maybe there's a picture or a quote or a rock or a little statue or something that's a 3D reminder that to anchor you that says, I'm going to keep working on making commitment to this. Because I want to tell you, anyone who survives a suicidal loss, they it's a, it's a gutsy, heroic journey to walk through it. Not only do they have grief and taboo, but it is trauma. Did you know that suicide survivors are considered a subset and at risk for suicide because of the extreme trauma of suicide? And grief brings up other grief, trauma brings up other trauma. So to walk through this is an enormous journey. Is there light at the end? Yes. You can walk with your newly pieced together heart when you are ready, when you are ready, not when anybody else tells you to be ready, but when you are ready. And this is a very important point that the grief process, the uh, the healing that needs to go on is not uh, time stamped. You know, for everybody, it's different. And I wanted to just uh, ask you to comment on helping children deal with a parent or a loved one who has uh, suicided. 
This is a really important topic. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I was doing my interviews, I talked to a gentleman in Boston and he lost his father when he was a boy and his father, uh, father had severe mental illness. And he said to me at the time, he said, Adele, there was nothing there for the kids. And I said, I promise you, we're going to do something. I've actually talked to a woman who writes children's books. I've done the research for her <laughs> because I want us to do something for the kids. But to answer your question, Lisa, one of the big things with the kids is they say they, they, Sometimes adults are trying too hard. I've, I've made that mistake myself, right? We try yeah. too hard with the kids, right? And they want to be, the adults are afraid to, kids can handle truth. I'm not, I'm talking age appropriate truth, of course. I never lie to a kid. I, I don't believe, I never lie to somebody who's suicidal. They'll read your energy. They'll know. They won't trust you. You can say, yes, this happened. And the kid will want to know, well, did I cause it? Was it my fault? Because that's what grownups want to know, too. And and no, honey, you you didn't. But but didn't didn't they love me enough? And you have to explain again, like to the grownups. Of course, they loved you enough. It's just that they were in a bad place, and what was going on in their head, you know. And whether you talk about, you know, um, in in child friendly language, haywire neurochemicals, you know, that the the brain was not well or whatever. But kids need they need truth. They need safety. Um, dealing with um, after Newtown, right? And one of the dads came home after that first night of Newtown, and he had a grade school kid, uh, junior high, and a high school kid. And one of those kids lost their best friend. And, and he said, okay. And so after dinner, they all went to the family room. They squished the couches and the, the hassocks and everything they had together, the family dog, and they all slept together he, he, you know, he grounded them. Another mom told me when her son lost six best friends in, in Newtown, and what did they do? They, he went to the grave and he put little trucks and little shells on because he wanted to give them a present. And they did, and that's that's what they did because her husband had learned that when he lost his brother. So people have ways, but you allow... Um, I think ritual is a wonderful thing for kids. You know, um, I think Paul Newman's camp started it with, um, they started with the balloons and letting go of things with balloons, uh, writing messages and balloons. But you, you give kids some, you allow them the space for their feelings. When I'm dealing with a kid in trouble, I always um, let them draw it out or make it out because it's a great way to get it out. So let them express it, honor who they are and trust them. Well, there is so much more to talk about and the opening of a wonderful conversation that we will continue. Um, we are out of time, and I want to invite our listeners to visit AdeleRyanMcDowell.com to learn more or MakingPeaceWithSuicide.com. On Facebook, the page is Making Peace with Suicide with a hyphen between each word. And on Twitter, the handle is at Adele. Heels. And before we close out the segment, I want to make sure that we let our listeners know that if you or someone you know is in distress, to reach out, to reach out for help. There are places that are available 24 7. Um, the, the National Suicide Hotline is one, and we will make sure we get uh, a couple of these hotlines posted on our website, the phone numbers. Um, one does not need to suffer in silence and alone.
nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because we're talking about something very, very serious. Oftentimes we explore the darker sides of life, the sides of life that are more challenging and traumatic. And today we are talking about suicide. Um, in the first first half of the show, we were talking about making peace with suicide, how to address the needs of the loved ones left behind. And a personal mission that I have through Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, our nonprofit, is I work with veterans who are returning from war, and I work with them in the context to help them reclaim their lives and um, perhaps heal the invisible wounds of war by really reaching down and doing so at a soul level. And my next guest is a champion um, for veterans. Uh, his name is Chris Nywame. He is with IA. VA, which is the leading post 9-11 veteran empowerment organization and the most diverse and rapidly growing membership in America. It's celebrating its 10-year anniversary and IAVA has repeatedly received the highest rating, which is four stars from Charity Navigator, America's largest charity evaluator. And I share this because there are so many veteran-related or veteran-cause um, nonprofits out there. This one really is the real deal, and I want to encourage folks to investigate IAVA when looking for a source to place their charitable contributions. IAVA, IAVA is the voice of 2.8 million veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan, raising awareness in the media on Capitol Hill, and among the general public. The mission of IAVA is to connect, unite, and empower post-9-11 veterans. They address critical issues facing new veterans and their families, including mental health injuries, a stretched VA system, 
inadequate health care for female veterans, and GI Bill educational benefits. IAVA also provides valuable resources and empowerment to veterans so that they can connect with one another, fostering a strong and lasting community. And this is probably one of the most critical factors in helping our service men and women successfully reintegrate and mitigate um, the emotional collateral damage of returning home from war. And with me today, um, Chris, he was a legislative associate. He maintains congressional relationships and supports advocacy programs. Chris spent six years in the U.S. Army Reserve as a military police NCO and served as an honorable tour of duty in Operation Iraqi Freedom detaining enemy prisoners of war and performing base security and customs in 2003 during the Iraq war. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. It's great to be with you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you for your service um, to our, for our country and helping us preserve um, our freedom and the things that we hold dear. And to all the men and women who have served in the military and continue to serve, let's talk about um, the epidemic of suicide in the veteran community. It is there are varying statistics that range from 18 to 22 or more suicides per day, and this is a shame. This is shame on us. Shame on America for allowing this to happen. It's, it's certainly uh, problematic. Uh, the statistic, uh, consistently we believe it's around 22 uh, veterans a day we lose to suicide, the VA statistics. Some think it could be higher. It, it, it truly is troubling, and that's why we continue, from an advocacy perspective, to focus on it and find ways to uh, reduce and work towards eliminating uh, this tragic statistic. And you have been involved in the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for American Veterans Act, the SAV, which recently passed, uh, uh, was passed by the 114th Congress and signed into law by President Obama on February 12th of this year. Can you talk about the SAV Act and why it matters and what civilians can do to support this? Absolutely. There's no shortage of important issues in the veteran community that uh, advocates want to work on. And last year, IAVA focused on mental health and suicide prevention, and that was because our members from across the country said it was the number one issue and surveyed, that that was the number one problem that they wanted to take on. And so we launched a campaign to combat suicide last year, and the culmination and the solution to match that goal was the SAVE Act, and it was drafted with the support of IEVA and Congress to do several things to strengthen the government and community uh, support uh, mechanism to stop this. And so it was uh, introduced, and we pushed it through the Congress, and we had a lot of forward-moving success, and we did unfortunately get the legislation blocked late in the last Congress. And so it wasn't until early this Congress when we were able to to come back together and get it done. There was one particular lawmaker that was holding the legislation, uh, thought it uh, cost too much money. Obviously, that uh, individual was wrong. And luckily, after they retired, we were able to uh, get together and have every single member of the United States Congress uh, support the legislation. And we were very proud to watch the president uh, sign it into law earlier this year. Indeed. And to go back to what you just said about costing too much money, I don't think we can invest enough 
in these young men and women who have so valiantly served and they come home and the um, emotional fallout for the veteran and his or her family is astounding and why we shouldn't be investing huge resources um, astounds me. This is our future. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And in the context of of Washington, D.C., politics and fiscal spending, you know, $22 million is is really kind of dollars and cents over the the course of of this legislation. But it, it was a smart... Uh, policy-focused piece of legislation, and and again, you know, very low cost when you look at the 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 investment that it makes in these men and women, many of which are reintegrating well and and succeeding, but many of which also have very real struggles that um, are not just going to be addressed with you know one conversation or or one doctor's appointment. They need us a, a long-term, sustained. A community of support, and the Clayhunt Save Act is a strong mechanism to support that in, in a variety of areas from developing peer support models to bolstering the VA workforce to get more medical professionals in there, and also allowing community providers and, and nonprofits to work with the VA to enhance best practices and make sure we get this right and uh, support these men and women as best we can. And the support really comes from my perspective, you know, working with men and women, you know, out in the field who have returned from war is really about normalizing what they feel after they experience what they have gone through. And I think that that is really the right direction to be going, Lisa. You know, there is there is obviously going to be, uh, you know, certain medication regimes and, 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 and psychiatry that comes into play at the VA. That's sort of the traditional way that the VA, you know, treats veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, stabilizing them in the short term. But the fact is, when you look at the long term and over the course of their lives, there needs to be complementary and alternative medications and, frankly, more uh, natural uh, avenues to to de-stressing because a lot of those issues, as you mentioned, are actually natural. The the, the human mind is not meant to take uh, long-term, you know, sustained pressure and uh, be exposed to those kinds of situations. So there needs to be an avenue to unwind and a variety of options to to heal these men and women. Agreed. In fact, I would posit that post-traumatic stress is the appropriate response to continued exposure to abnormal levels of stress of stress there are many of us in in this community that feel that way absolutely and 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 Iraq and Afghanistan veterans have obviously been under an enormous amount of stress for for several years over a decade with many of our members are deploying three and four times that's a lot of time away from you know the safety of your home and your community with your loved ones and and in harm's way and and let's remember you know post traumatic stress affects civilians as well people throughout their life can experience traumatic events and react to those and so uh, veterans are are no different in that respect obviously some of the uh, activities that they experience are unique to military service and the pressures of military operations but you know the broader uh, population will experience uh, traumatic stress as well and so Applying those best practices is going to be helpful in the long term to identifying what you're experiencing and and certainly not uh, being in isolation, but uh, seeking help and being open about the uh, the struggles that one is experiencing. 
And let's talk for a moment about secondhand trauma, about why it's so important that we give proper care to our veterans, because what we're doing by investing in them with proper care, we are promoting a legacy of healthy families. Oh, that's absolutely true. And, and I'm really glad to hear the word family there, too, because oftentimes, you know, the public can look at these veterans and think that it's, it's just the veteran. But when you look at the, the family, the spouse, the community, there's really a multiplying effect of uh, other people that are impacted by the health and well-being of those uh, returning service members. So it's important to not only support them, but keep them connected with their families and communities and continuing the education that sometimes you're going to have a bad day or a, experience you know, symptoms that can come and go from some of the combat experience. And so looking at the, the family and the spouse and looking at the, the veteran and their community in a, more, in a more broad view can help really connect with them and keep them connected and away from you know, situations of isolation and substance abuse and all these other sort of negative effects that can come with a post-deployment without those strong support structures in place. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we are going to carry on this extremely important conversation about how to care and help our veterans heal when they return from war. You are listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, and I'm speaking today with Chris Nywame, who is with IAVA. To learn more about the SAVE Act, please visit IAVA.org, SAV Act. Or in general, just go to IAVA.org. On Facebook, it's IAVA.org. And on Twitter, IAVA. And here come those tunes. We'll be right back and continue the very serious conversation about how to support our troops. If you feel like happiness is the truth, because I'm like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Wow. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't So good, so good. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness you. Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about a dark subject. Um, 
and really shedding light on suicide, particularly in the veteran community when our service personnel return home from war and they are challenged by post-traumatic stress. And I'm intentionally leaving off the D with disorder because I'm really a a champion for post-traumatic stress being a normal response to abnormal exposure to high levels of stress. And I'm speaking today with Chris Nyweim, who is from IAVA, and he has been a champion for the cause to um, uh, with the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for American Veterans, the SAVE Act, which recently passed in Congress and was signed into law by the president in February. And in the last uh, segment, we were talking about how to best support the veteran. And, and now um, with Chris, I want to kind of turn the focus on traditional modalities for dealing with post-traumatic stress and some of the complementary uh, modalities that are available and are being used quite successfully to help our veterans more successfully and more comfortably reintegrate. So Chris, I'm going to let you take it away because this is really important. Sure, Lisa. You know, I think when when these men and women are coming back from war, there is a lot uh, going on there. The reintegration back to the states in general is a, is a big change. You're going from a deployment environment back to your community, which is a more secure and safe place, but often the stress that you experience overseas w- will go with you. And so w- when reintegrating into the community, there, there are many issues that can surface from uh, survivor's guilt to depression to anxiety and, and all these other things that go with day-to-day life, which can be stressful, going back to college, starting a new career, and these things. And so as, as veterans return, it is always helpful to enroll in the VA, you know, seek, seek health care, you know, get in there. Even if you're not experiencing an issue now, you could later. And one of the more traditional routes that uh, most service members and veterans experience when they return is, is going to VA and uh, seeking medication, which in many cases can be very helpful, uh, certainly in the short term, and, and treating some of these many conditions. However, I do think that a a pivot and inclusion of complementary and alternative uh, medications and therapies should also supplant that. And I I believe we're having that conversation nationwide and in Washington, D.C., to look at broadening the portfolio of avenues for veterans to seek. So it's not just dependent on medications, as oftentimes there can be uh, side effects and other challenges that can come uh, with, with medication treatment regimes. And just to say for a moment, in in some cases, and in many cases, in fact, medication is appropriate for the short term, but it also has side effects that um, contribute to the very issue you're trying to prevent, which is suicide. There's a, There can be suicidal ideation that is a side effect from some of the medications. So they need to be dispensed with a very even hand and certainly with a lot of monitoring, which in a, in a VA system that is really spread thin and tapped out can be very challenging. Absolutely. And, and each, each case is going to be uh, unique and different. And these are uh, trained professionals at the VA that understand these medications and understand uh, their patients. Uh, but we do want to look at the things that, that we know work. I mean, we certainly know that exercise and yeah, human relationships and, and, and staying connected to the community are all things that are important to reducing the, you know, the tragic outcome of suicide because we know uh, suicide is not the result of one problem or two, but often 20 or 30 problems, whether it's a emotional uh, 
detaching from the from your community and family as a result of, of combat experiences, those uh, service members or veterans that that are, that are single that don't have that support network, and then you also add in substances, alcohol, and, the, and this, this whole array of things that, that, that folks can get involved with. So looking at the healthy lifestyle is going to be very important over the course of their life. So it, it is to say that the medications and the, the health care quality at the VA, which I believe is very high, is very important, but we do want to continue to have the discussion of alternate avenues for healing and getting the Department of Veterans Affairs to work with nonprofit groups that are doing uh, retreats, equine therapy, yoga, uh, the list goes on to make sure that we're providing a broad and, and, and healthy and, and robust network and uh, available options for these uh, men and women to heal outside of specifically just um, pharmaceutical drugs and those type of treatment regimes. Well said. And the idea that we can help um, our servicemen and women learn healthy lifestyle, you know, we often forget that um, they're young when they deploy. In some cases, they're in their late teens. So they may not know a good self-care routine. They may not know uh, about healthy lifestyle, about the importance of good sleep, good nutrition, relaxation, having a break, um, learning stress coping techniques such as mindfulness, meditation, yoga, martial arts, equine therapy you mentioned is is another wonderful tool. And there are so many uh, avenues that we can pursue to help us ground. And I think that that's also very important, that the, the stress response comes from a trigger that takes us back to the very moment um, of the trauma, but it's in the rearview mirror. It's not real and present in the present moment. That's absolutely true. And at least I think you mentioned it earlier on the segment when you discussed understanding that this is a natural reaction to something serious that's happened. Oftentimes in the military training regime, obviously these are very tough men and women that serve this country and these veterans that have been tested and many battle-tested in combat situations, and they're tough, and they are able to be successful because of the mindset of winning, being victorious, never giving up, and with that can come the idea that if you're seeking help or you're starting to experience some internal strife, that that is a weakness, and it's actually the opposite. Like you mentioned, it's a reaction to those natural stresses, so just being able to identify that those things are happening is is an important step. And for many folks, they may not experience those things for years and, and much later in life. And, and we've seen in some of these unfortunate cases with some of the suicide issues is a, a veteran that was doing great and that no one knew was having a, any struggles or did not enroll in VA health care. And then the issue surfaced much later when some uh, stress had um, come into their life, and it was sort of a surprise. So understanding that those things are normal and reaching out to connect with available resources, whatever that could be. It could be a, a nonprofit organization. It could be a neighbor. It could be a relationship. It could be a, a professor in your college. There is any number of ways that you can connect and, and lead a healthy lifestyle. And so, you know, that's part of uh, what we do uh, in the advocacy community is is connecting veterans to communities and making sure we're advocating for policies that are keeping pace with what's a, what those uh, veterans are experiencing out there in their communities around the country. And I would add that when there is um, when someone is triggered and in a, an emotional 
family vaults, rather than it be uh, considered a bad thing, one might reframe it to be actually uh, one's own humanity coming to light. You know, that, that's, that in order to perform in the job, you almost have to put that part of yourself away. One has to compartmentalize in order to stay alive and do the job. And then when um, there's a return back home to ostensibly safety, and I'm doing that with air, air quotes, you know, with my fingers, um, there can be a, a, a break in the armor, a crack in the armor, a vulnerability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... There's, there's also to be said that every single uh, person is different, and they're going to react to their experiences differently. And oftentimes when you're deployed, you just don't get a lot of time to think about the things back home from, you know, paying your bills or, you know, you know you're looking at your daily checklist and how you sort of structure your life. The, the, your operational requirements usually are very structured, but they're also can be very stressful. So there's this sort of driving 120 miles per hour, um, you know, sort of idea when, when you're over there. And, and I think that's where a lot of the, um, you know, issues and transition is, has surfaced is that initial return home when your entire life completely uh, changes and becomes much slower. And for those uh, men and women that were wounded or that uh, suffered injuries or illnesses, it's even more difficult to um, imagine that you your, your military career did not um, – you know, take you to where you envisioned four or five years previous to that. So there, there's so many different changes. There's so many different emo- emotional emotions that come with that. And so being able to sort of, you know, slow down, uh, take a breath, and and give yourself time in your individual situation to identify what you need and um, try to lead a, uh, a better existence and a healthier existence. Uh, um, let's touch for a moment on self-medication and risky behaviors. You know, you know the adrenaline-seeking um, desire that when one is deployed, you know, you're used to a very, very fast-paced life, life living on the edge. Then you return, the pace slows down, and yet the body and the brain are craving that that energy. And so, this too is a very normal response. Absolutely. And, you know, for the, the environment overseas is, is not the sort of environment you have in the States. You know, you don't have the, the weekend to go and, and you'll go so, socialize with your friends or, or go, you know, to a, to a concert or go, you know, enjoy, you know, alcoholic beverages in a social setting because you're in a completely different environment. And so when you come back, you're, you're back to, uh, you know, essentially much more freedom being back in, in, in the States. And, and with that comes sometimes, uh, you know, leaning a little bit more on alcohol and in more uh, intense cases, substances to sort of uh, equalize or keep you in that same frame of intensity or, or as, as a balancing effect. And that, and that goes across, uh, and that's peripheral to uh, veterans that have genetic dispositions to uh, substance abuse or those sorts of things. So we, you, we do routinely see in this community um, problems with alcohol, um, drinking too much, drinking too frequently, and in many cases, substance abuse as well. And those are um, unhealthy coping mechanisms, but they are coping mechanisms. So we need to look at that in the broader context of, of what these folks need. And, and step one is identifying, and step two is working to curb and eliminate the, those behaviors. And so that's where you know non- nonprofits come in, the VA comes in, family comes in, um, you know, to look at that. But certainly that has been an issue. And at times uh, medication regimes can also sort of 
blend in with um, alcohol use and can cause problems and, and make, make things worse at times as well. I wanted to, we're almost out of time, and I wanted to touch upon one thing. You talked about breathing, about awareness of breath, and it made me think about the, uh, the concept of mindfulness, which of course is a complementary medicine uh, protocol that is taught. But I would also um, argue that our servicemen and women possess a high level of inherent mindfulness because that is what has kept them alive in theater. I think that's absolutely correct, and it's a very interesting, um, you know, sort of perspective to have that uh, heightened level of awareness and the, the training and being able to to implement that training in a variety of situations. And so I think what it what it comes down to is just going back to the basics every day of, of, of focusing on that breathing. And, and some, and when I was introduced to this sort of therapy post-deployment, sort of thought, I, I just don't understand how, how that's going to be helpful. And you take three or four deep breaths and you can already sort of feel yourself relaxing and being able to look at a, at a situation in, in a little more clear context. And so, you know, we, we certainly tell veterans uh, oftentimes to just sort of slow down, take a breath and, and reevaluate. And that's uh, sort of something that's been helpful for, for veterans in the community in which we serve. Well, thank you. Chris, for being with us today, I want to give your contact information once again. To learn more, please visit IAVA.org. And I'm going to give your personal um, contact for social media, Chris. It's Chris Nyweem at Chris.Nyweem, and it's N-E-I-W-E-E-M on Facebook. And on Twitter, it's the same handle. So you've got both sets of social media uh, for our listeners to reach out to IAVA or Chris directly. Here are a few thoughts before we part, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Chris, for being with us today. I know that it um, took an act to get here, and I, and I appreciate it. Um, it great to be with you, hap- of course. Hap- happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dr. Adele Ryan McDowell and Chris Nywame, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside. Go out and make it a great day. And thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We appreciate you. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. 
Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Tokenet Radio Network.